It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pre edition. It's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. And he's Rick Broering. Each week we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We usually have a gambling segment, of course, my favorite segment, where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just send it on Twitter to hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, how we doing? I'm good. You know what? You're going to crush me for this. You know what I did out of a move of desperation the other night? Um, you bet FC Cincinnati. Very, very close. You might find this worse. You bet the United States women's national team. I did on like a 4 a.m. game because I was working and I had to watch it. Any, I had to be up anyway. So I was like, hey, perfect idea, right? What could possibly the, go wrong? Was it the semifinal game that they lost? You better believe it, buddy. Oh, my heavens to Betsy. That's why they lost. Now <laughs> we know. Now the nation knows why the U.S. women's national team lost. It is because of you. That one's on me. It really is. I I would actually kind of agree with you there. Least amount that I've ever watched the summer games, but I did watch the uh, the basketball semifinals th- this morning. Both games, and both uh, both games were good. I mean, U.S. pulled away in the in the uh, first semifinal after being down, and the second game came down to literally a, a buzzer beating blocked shot on a layup attempt for France to advance past uh, Slovenia. And that was uh, a lot of NBA dudes on those teams. Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, that's the interesting part about uh, the basketball stuff now. As much as people still want to make jokes and and talk about how embarrassing it is, you're getting to the point where I mean, yeah, the NBA or the Team USA still has Kevin Durant, who heads who has heads and shoulders above everybody else on the floor. But after that, things aren't too uneven. No, exactly. I mean, you know, Evan Fournier is a nice NBA player. He's not a star. But he's certainly, you know, he's got a bigger role in that regard for France. And, and you know, they got Nick Batum. They've got Rudy Gobert. I mean, they've, they've got some NBA-level guys. Well, the other thing is, you know, when you're playing like Australia, like they were in this past game, and a guy like Dante Exum, who got drafted right. highly, came over to the NBA, yep. got his lunch eaten, has gone back overseas to Australia. What type of chip on that guy's shoulder do you think there is when sure. he's playing against these NBA guys? You know, so and 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 Patty Mills is a great international player. So good. And Ricky yeah. Rubio is the best international point guard of all time. I mean, he's terrible well, yeah, in the great. NBA, but it's correct. But yes, yeah. yeah. But on the international stage, some of those guys just really play. It's it, it was it was fun to watch. Yeah, it has been. All right. Well, let's get into uh, some of our our topics here, and we'll start off with the Bengals because the story of training camp so far has been kind of tough for fans around Cincinnati. Things are already getting testy on social media feeds. Joe Burrow and the offense stinks and the defense has had their way with them and the franchise is doomed and we should all just pack it up and quit right now. Right, Skinny? Yeah, that, that's the funny part is, is, is those of us reporting what we're watching in camp and seeing with our own eyes, with, with other people who are not there, we're seeing the struggles. And you know what we're seeing? You know what we're really seeing? that Joe Burrow is a human being and he's got some human frailties, which right now is him trying to mentally overcome and maybe even physically still overcome that knee injury. God forbid that that guy's human. I, I might've exaggerated a little bit there at the end, just possibly, but I mean, it is how, what has the feedback been like for you this week? As you guys are tweeting and writing these things that and were, seeing that the were liars, that were irresponsible, that were not being fair, that it, 
I get only, it's only day three of camp. It's only day four. It's only day five. It's only day six. Well, last year early in camp, that cat was zipping it all over the middle talking about, you know, finishing up some installation, which I guess they were thought they were doing last training camp too. Um, some of it is the defense has played extraordinarily well. You know, unfortunately it was Dante, Deontay Smith, the first day of pads at right tackle, trying to block Sam Hubbard. Guess how many times Sam Hubbard was in Joe Burrow's lap constantly. So, um, and he doesn't look comfortable with the rush around him. He looks like he's trying to watch the rush to make sure somebody doesn't roll up into his leg. He's not driving the ball. There, there's a lot of things going on there. Um, so there is some issues right now. Does that mean we're going to have these issues September 12th? Maybe not. I certainly hope not. But as of right now, he is struggling, period, end of story. It doesn't mean doesn't mean he's always going to be struggling. But for right now, there's something going on. I mean, even, even Tyler Boyd yesterday said, yeah, the, the knee's iffy right now. That's a teammate. Okay. You don't have to take our opinion for it. There's a teammate talking about the knee. And the the, the day off makes a lot of sense. I I have no problem with it. But it was really interesting that we were supposed to talk with Joe on Wednesday. Um, Found out Wednesday morning he was not going to be available to talk, which is fine. Um, And and then all of a sudden we get it dropped on us at the end of Zach Taylor's probably where he's going to get a day off. Um, That's all well and good. It makes sense. It was a short yardage day for the most part. Um, There was some 11 on 11 sessions of throwing, but for the most part, it was a short yardage day. You got a day off today. So it gives him back to back day offs. You know, I, I, I said something last week. I thought they maybe after he didn't look good the second, uh, the second day of practice and he looked really bad the third day of practice. I thought, well, it's unfortunate they're in the stadium tomorrow because he's not going to get that day off. But it looked at that point that he kind of needed a day off. Well, then he got one. Came back Monday, was not very good. First day in pads, it, the, the speed ramps up a little bit, and he was even worse. And so now he gets a day off, and, and that's all fine. I get it. He he probably needs it on many fronts, you know, for mental freshness. I'm sure there is some soreness in that knee. Again, he's a human being coming back a little quicker than anticipated, which we all got giddy about. But again, he's a human being and there's some something going on there. And, um, you know, hopefully as the camp keeps going on, he'll start to get over some of that mental hurdle and all that. But right now there, there's an issue there. And and I, I just hope it doesn't linger. I don't think it will, but it I, I hope it doesn't. It's easy to overreact to this and it's tough to really wrap your head around what exactly is going on if you're not there seeing it. So from the perspective of someone who is, how reasonable is it to be concerned? How concerned sh- should people be? Is this legit or is it as silly as looking at a pitcher's, a veteran pitcher's stats in spring training in baseball? No, I, I think it is because Rick, there's no question the pass rush really bothers him right now. There, there's no doubt. You can just see him, um, you know, not wanting to step up. You can see him looking around at, you know, for bodies around him, especially when it got ramped up in full pads. Um, so he's going to have to over. And we talked about that before camp, remember? Of yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the biggest part for me that he has to overcome is the whole mental aspect of this. They've talked about not playing him in preseason games. I- I'm sorry. I think he's going to have to because he's going to have to get over that, that shock of getting hit for the first time, of probably getting hit in the leg for the first time. Um, because right now, he even he's even doing this without with, with, with the knowledge of he can't be touched. Well, there could be accidents, right? These guys are flying 100 miles an hour. Somebody falls close to him and rolls into him. That is still a very real possibility. They're not allowed to tackle him or really touch him, but there is the real possibility of something accidental happening. Especially um, the so, dumb fat guy trying to make the team as a second no or third stringer on defense. Well, and especially with what, you know, you had Dante Smith just absolutely get embarrassed by Sam Hubbard. 
Um, and Sam pulled up every time, but you know, there's a couple of times where, you know, Jonah Williams is having good battles with Trey Hendrickson that Trey Hendrickson won and he's trying to get around Jonah Williams. He knows he's got to stop, but again, those are two giant bodies that it's like a freight train. They're not coming to a stop, you know, in an instant, there, there's a little, there's a little more movement there. So I, I think it is real for, for Joe. I, you know, I see him flexing the knee a lot. And so I, I, I'm sure there is some soreness there. And that's where we have not talked to him since the, the, before the very first practice. And I think, you know, a lot of us were looking forward to talking to him yesterday. Cause I think he'd be honest about it. I do think there's some soreness there. Um, there's certainly something mental going on there. He's obviously a talented enough guy to overcome it, but he's, he's going to have to get hit and you're not going to get hit in training camp. And if, if this persists, he's going to have to play in some preseason snaps and yeah, I know you can risk the injury. That's life. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you've got to get this guy ready. Um, You know, maybe in two or three years, um, he may not need a preseason snap whatsoever. Hell maybe next training camp, he may not need a preseason snap whatsoever. But I think this year, I think he needs some preseason snaps because he's got to get hit. And he I think he knows it. He's talked about, remember, he, the very first day of camp, he talked about wanting to get hit. That's when you know you're playing football. So he wants that. But right now, as a human being coming off a knee, he's worried about getting rolled up on, and I fully understand it. Yeah, everything you've laid out is kind of where I've been at since I've been reading these reports. It's like, all of this makes sense. It's reasonable. At the same time, I'm not getting too freaked out at this point because this should have been expected. Like, this is not, this seems like it's part of the process. Now, if you guys are saying the same things on the last day of training camp and we do see him get into preseason games and it's an unmitigated disaster or something like that, then yeah, I'm going to start panicking a little bit more. But for right now, this feels very much like something that we should expect to happen, not just for the first couple of days of training camp, but really it, it should be a process. I would, I would expect for him to return from this major knee injury while he's still such a young guy with an offensive line that is full of uncertainties surrounding him. I, this, this all checks out. So uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think it's, it's understandable to be worried, but to be panicking at this point and be over the top about, it seems a bit excessive, I would say. Yeah. And, and I think um, I think my friend Paul Dater Jr. asked this question when we, we found out about Joe getting the day off late in, in camp um, was and I can't remember how it was phrased, but it was something along the lines of, you know, we, we saw him hit the ground running last year and we saw him play and you kind of expect him to be superhuman. And it's it kind of throws you off when you realize that, that he's not. I can't remember how it was phrased, but it was along those lines of of look that, you know, we, we've come to expect some crazy things. Was it crazy to expect him to hit the ground running, come on off knee surgery? And it probably was. It was probably unfair of all of us, maybe including Joe himself to think that. Yeah. I mean, at some point you just start believing the legend, even if it's your own legend, right? We all talk about him in a certain way and we just, it's a foregone conclusion that, yeah, he's a rookie who hasn't proven a whole lot yet. And yes, he's got major knee surgery and he plays for an organization that's been one of the worst in football for the last three decades or whatever it's been now. But isn't he just going to be fine? I mean, that's that's like kind of where right. we were at right. on everything, yeah. and it's that's not how life works. It's that's it, unreasonable. Yeah. That's, oh, it's Joe. He's Superman. He'll be all right. I, I think he will, but he's not right now, okay? Yeah, and all of a sudden, you do get to this point where you're like, oh, wait a minute. If he's not just great, like we all expect, 
what what is this team looking at again this right. year? And I think, you know, I think, I, mean, that's, I, I think that's the fear of of when when fans see this and read this of oh my god, bad. Yeah, because it, it's not just that we expect. Oh, okay, this guy will we'll figure it out eventually, and he's going to be okay, and long term he's good. Everyone expect Joe Burrow to just basically jump into being an all pro, awesome quarterback right away this year as, as soon as he returned. And and it was just a foregone conclusion that he was not going to be a problem for this team, even despite everything he's dealing with and coming back from. So that was probably a little bit unreasonable on all of Cincinnati to be having those expectations. But that's the reality of where things were at in this city. It was just everyone had nothing but faith and confidence in Joe Burrow. And we'll... uh We'll see where that goes here. That'll obviously be a storyline that everyone is following now, very closely he, the rest of the way. Yeah. Now on the flip side, let's give some credit and tip the cap to the defense playing well. Cause they are, uh, Ujie is playing really well. Mike Hilton's playing really well. Um, Eli Apple, when he got hurt, came in and, and, uh, when Trey Waynes got hurt and played well, Waynes was playing well, obviously the back end's good. The, the young linebackers have flashed, which you, you, you would need some, we need some improvement from those guys. Um, you know, Jermaine Pratt had a great interception of, of Burrow and was that on Burrow? Maybe bad decision, bad throw on Joe's part. Um, Trey Hendrickson looks great coming off the edge and, and Jonah Williams is, is, was won some of those battles. So I'm, I'm not going to say that it's because Jonah's been bad. Jonah's actually been pretty decent. Now, on the other side, obviously Deontay Smith was in over his head. So some of this, Hey, you made some upgrades on defense. You need to see the defense be better, right? Well, we've seen it. So some of that's them too. And that's the good thing. And, and that's fine. But the way I said it before, you know, is I, I look at it sort of like uh, baseball training camp, you know, pitchers, you're not too worried about their ERA. I'm going to take this defensive performance very much with a grain of salt as well. I'll, I'll believe that more when I see it in oh, no real live action than in training. Right. No camp question. Too. No have question. there been any other players that have stood out to you good or bad so far at training camp or any other storylines that you see developing? Jamar chase has been really inconsistent. Um, he finally made a flash play yesterday on a 50, 50 balled out deep down the field. Brandon Allen just kind of threw it up for grabs. Um, and he kind of out, out jumped a to get it. Um, he's also had some drops wide open, running clean in the middle of the field. He's, he's had a hard time at times getting some separation. Um, so there's a little, I don't want to say disappointment there, but you know, again, you got to put it in the head, in your head that this is still a rookie trying to figure it out. And I think Tyler Boyd brought it up yesterday of, you know, maybe he needs to get in his book a little bit more, maybe a little more attention to detail, some of those things. And that, that's what maybe rookies learn is, Hey, guess what? This and Jamar talked about that of making sure he lines up, right. Um, you know, sometimes he has, he's had a hard time at, at times with that. And so, you know, and, and probably realizing that you're just not going to run free through the old miss secondary. You're running against real live grown ass men out there in the secondary who are in the NFL for a reason. And uh, separation doesn't come easy. So, uh, so I don't want to label that a disappointment. It's just been, you know, a little on the inconsistent side. And obviously I will say this, Rick, I'm still stunned. They didn't try to get another offensive tackle in here to camp because you saw how quickly Fred Johnson went down. Riley reef went down and boom, fourth round project. And that's what Deontay Smith is. He is a project. Um, and obviously identity got hurt in OTAs and he's not around. So suddenly with your first team units on the first day in pads, there's Deontay Smith rookie fourth round project starting at right tackle. Um, Doesn't make you feel good. Re yeah. Reef reef is going to be back. They believe Fred Johnson's going to be back and that sounds great, but I I've said this before. Riley Reef and Jonah Williams probably combined are not going to start all 34 games. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for anyone to have for a veteran in Reef and a guy who's been injury prone in Jonah Williams to start all 34 games. Now, Fred Johnson, who was going to be the swing tackle, is 
he's had a little history of some some nicks nicks and, and bruises and bumps and whatever. Um, you quickly get down to the Deontay Smith portion of the program. Um, you are going to get Joe Burrow killed. Yeah, that that doesn't breed a lot of confidence there when you start bringing up names like that protecting Joe Burrow's blind side. You mentioned Jamar Chase. You know the other thing about him is he took a year off. I mean, he hasn't played live right, football right, in a year, right. and you got to imagine that's impacting that's him as fair. he's trying to make a jump too. But here's the thing about him. I don't think he has a lot of time. I mean, the Bengals are invested in him, so it's not like he's just going to be gone after a year. But this is going to be a situation where Zach Taylor, Duke Tobin, they're going to look really freaking bad if Jamar Chase is nowhere near ready right out of the gates and they didn't draft Panay Sewell or a left tackle for Joe Burrow. Yeah. Um, and, and again, uh, for him, it's, it's, I think figuring out a week into training camp that how, how hard this game is. Um, and I, I, you know, like I, th- that flash play yesterday made me feel a little bit better. Cause that was one of those, Ooh, that's a guy making a play. That's just not, you know, taking a six yard slant and, and hanging onto the football that's going up and stealing one away from a cornerback right there. Um, and there's been a couple of times he's gotten, uh, I wish I could remember what day it was, Rick. It might've been Friday's practice. I think, um, it was a seven on seven drill and he got some real separation from a and I think Bates came over really late. I mean, he had a good two or three steps and Joe overthrew him by five yards. Um, so that, that, that I, that I've seen him get some separation at times, uh, but he's still figuring it out. And, and, uh, he, he's, a, he's a guy who's going to need a lot of, I think a, a fair amount of reps in, in preseason games. Maybe an overreaction to say it just because of, you know, the, these first few training camp practices, but, this is something I've been kind of thinking as I've been listening to preseason projections and analysis. I think there's a lot of value for betters and fantasy footballers on Tyler Boyd because everyone keeps splitting all these stats between these receivers fairly equally and putting Jamar Chase at the top a lot of times in terms of yardage or if not right behind T. Higgins. I think Tyler Boyd is, you know, especially if it takes Jamar Chase a little bit of time to get up to speed and get going. I think Tyler Boyd's going to be the big beneficiary of that from a, a stat perspective. Maybe, but if you look last year, the, the the targets between Boyd Higgins and AJ Green were pretty even. I think one had 112, another had 109, and another had 106. So I do think the targets will be even. The big difference last year was AJ Green wasn't getting separation on a lot of his targets and didn't come up with a lot of catches. And I think that's where no, but he at least see- knows where to line up. That's correct. I, I do think you'll see, though, that the target's still pretty evenly distributed because of just the way defenses will play certain things that it's just going to go where the coverage dictates. And then it's a matter of, will Jamar Chase at that point win 50-50 balls? Will he get enough separation on his targets to, 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 to come up with catches? So, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm – I, I believe that Tyler's going to have a huge season. He's just uh, – I, I think he's going to have just his consistent, you know, 80-catch, 1,100-yard kind of year, and that's all well and good. I, I think – I do think of – if if all three are getting the targets, I still think they all three still have a great shot at a thousand yard season. There you go. Well, let's switch gears here and go from Bengals training camp across the street to the Reds, where after splitting a pair of games with the Twins, Cincinnati enters Thursday night, trailing the Milwaukee Brewers by seven and a half games for first place in the NL Central and the San Diego Padres by four games for the NL second wild card spot. Skinny, is this the best you've felt about the Reds' chances of making the playoffs? It is and it isn't because that's seven and a half games is going to be really hard to make up. 
I think the potential of making up the four with the Padres is real just because the Padres, I, I haven't looked at the number, but I know they're going to have to. They still got to play the Dodgers and the Giants a bunch of times. The Reds still got to play, I think, each once once more. I know they got the Dodgers in September. They might be done with the Giants now that I think of it. Um, so that's the one, and that's only four games back. And I think the good part, too, is, Rick, you know, usually the wild card standings, you start to look and you see your team's only – two and a half games out. And yet there's five teams in between them and the wild card spot, right? It's a, that's how usually bunched it is. Well, the good part for the reds in the wild card, when you look, there's only one team in front of them. Yeah, it's a pretty clean path. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's catch San Diego or LA if they fall backwards, but it's catch one of those two. And right now you only trail the Padres by four. You've got an easy schedule setting up. Um, and the Padres probably have a difficult one based on, on the division that they're in. So I do feel good. I don't feel great about, I just don't think Milwaukee's ever going to go do, into an extended losing streak just because of how good that starting pitching is. Well, and their um, bullpen. And their bullpen, right. It's it just they, they're going to lose some games, obviously, but it's just hard for me to see them lose five straight while the Reds win four or five and make up three games. Well, I just said that, and that's only making up three games. <laughs> right, right, right. You're still four um, and a half out. And then when you start doing the, the whole math of, okay, so what's it going to take to win this division? Let's say it takes, uh, you, you better get to 90 wins. All right, so for that to happen, the Reds have to go, have to win 30, uh, 33 more. They would go 33 and 21. That's pretty good, right? But that's also a hell of a pace, 33 and 21. And the Milwaukee, to catch them, would have to go 25 and 20, uh, 25 and 28. Do we believe they're going 25 and 28? Maybe. Do you believe at the same time the Reds are going 33 and 21? Yeah, I think that's a tall task. Probably not, especially when you're talking about a bullpen that's giving up over half of well, the that, leads that you're right. hanging over to it. I mean, that's, that's still a major you, issue. You can't lose Tuesday's game. You can't. Those are the if you're going to make up seven and a half, you don't lose Tuesday's game. Well, they almost turned around and gave away Wednesdays too. Right. Right. I mean, just banana. I fortunately they held on to that game, and that's why as bad as you feel sometimes watching this team still, and the bullpen is just incredibly frustrating, even after making these moves to add three new guys, but you look up and, and you pointed out a lot of what gives me hope from the, the Padres perspective, but you also didn't mention Fernando Tatis just re-injured his shoulder for the third time, partially dislocated it. He's on the 10 day injured list. They're going to evaluate at the end of 10 days where he's at again. They're saying they'd like to hold off surgery until after the season. So the Padres can make this postseason run, but they're also talking about their franchise star. So they're going to do right by this guy. I mean, the third time the shoulder has popped out of place this season, you got to imagine they're going to look long and hard at just shutting him down and, and getting some surgery on that thing. If, if that's the case, all of a sudden the Padres become very vulnerable with that four-game lead in the second wildcard spot. Yeah, and, and it's weird, man. They spent an awful lot of money. They've made a bunch of deals. Remember, they got Adam Frazier as well. Um, to think that the Reds have a chance to catch a team – that on paper, even without Tatis, is more talented is is kind of mind boggling, really. Yeah, but it, you know, going back to the original question, for some reason, I do feel better about the Reds' chances right now, just because of the way things are setting up with the Padres, than I have really all year. We had that one brief stretch right before the the All Star break where we were really hoping they were going to make a move on on the Brewers and and just beat up on them head to head and maybe cut it down to just a few games. And if they're able to do that, I think. That probably would have given us the most hope, but you know things have slid back. It's it's been frustrating since the break, and now all of a sudden, 
they keep fighting. They keep hanging around. Well, and, and things let's not have forget, broken a little bit on the Padres side. Yeah, reinforcements are you know probably not too far away. Hopefully, um, you know, Castellanos is supposed to come back this weekend. Yeah, you know, there was some thought he was going to come back for the Twins series um, and didn't, but um, sounds like it's at least close. You know, hopefully leaves on a rehab, Senzel's on a rehab. So you're 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 getting some reinforcements to it just the right time. You know, the other thing, too, is, and, and I hope David Bell learned a lesson on Wednesday, and he probably didn't, but the the fact that he let Renzen get multiple outs to get the save, I, I'm still, I've talked about that for a long time. Instead of trying to get, you know, get your starter through six and then have three or four different guys coach you for the final nine outs. How about if one guy's going good, just any stone 11 pitches, just leave him in there. Uh, you know, I don't, I know Heath Henry was hot for a while and that's fine. You rode the hot hand, but for the last week, plus he comes in and walks two people and gives up a bomb and walks two guys and leaves the game and walks a guy and gives up a bomb. Okay. He, you got your good hot week out of Heath Ember, your hot two weeks. He's a career journeyman, four plus ERA reliever for a reason. Um, no more of him in a closer role, please. Just please stop. Unfortunately, I feel like, you know, we've said that about a handful of guys this yeah. year. So at some point yeah. he has to try somebody and stick with them. So I get, or, the- or the, or the multiple out guy, you know, Lorenzen comes in in eighth, gets an out, leave him in, gets two outs, leave him in, which I, I'm great with that too. But I, I'm just saying there is a certain part of me that totally understands the frustrations of being David Bell this year. And the fact that, you got to turn to somebody, you know, and I mean, if you can't just keep moving on to the next guy every time someone screws up. So I get him sticking with guys to a certain extent, but and showing some loyalty. But I mean, you're right. We've also seen enough of a lot of these guys to know that guy just ain't going to cut it. Or let the starters go in extra innings. We talked about cut down on the use of relievers as well. Yeah, well, you might have to start looking at that more and more as this. I mean, we're working yeah, and much. Right, and we're, we're deep enough in where I don't need to baby him any longer, right? I mean, we're, we're to the point of kind of no return. I again, I'm not here to tell you to throw a guy 140 pitches, but I think we're at the point now where if a guy's going good, let him keep going good. Yeah, and, and I'm with you, and this may sound a little bit crass, but we're also looking at a starting rotation where it's not a bunch of young future stars of your organization. You know, if you pitch them a little hard and and it doesn't work out for them or it, it – it, you know, they, they struggle or God forbid they get hurt. It's not exactly the end of the world with this group. You know, you're not talking about Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green up here right now. Well, and, and you've, you know, you've, you've, you've babied Sonny Gray. And I, maybe it's not the right word, but you, you've, you've taken care of Sonny Gray and he still gets hurt. So yeah. he can get hurt anyway. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears again from baseball to college football now. The Cincinnati Bearcats have been tabbed as the preseason favorite in the 2021 American Athletic Conference preseason media poll. Cincinnati received 22 of a possible 24 first-place votes in the poll to finish with 262 points. Central Florida had two first-place votes and was second in the poll with 241 points, ending a streak of three consecutive seasons as the favorite in the American. I don't think anybody was surprised by UC being picked first, but Skinny, do you think there's anyone that can push UC at the top of the AAC this year? Are the Bearcats going to cruise through their conference? I think a lot depends on Des Ritter's health, right? I mean, and, and that's no knock on, on guys behind him, but, um, you know, he's won a lot of games for this, this program over the last few years. Um, so as long as he stays healthy, because they've got so many dudes around him, I don't. I mean, I know UCF, they got Gus Malzahn, and, you know, is that going to take a little bit of time? Uh, they got their top, you know, the quarterback back and threw for over 350 yards a game last year. But um, I think UC is clearly the class of the league, and I think it, it, it 
it showed in that voting. I mean, 22 out of the 24 possible first place votes go UC's way. Um, that's, that's probably dead on accurate. I, it would have to take a lot of catastrophic stuff to happen to UC, in my opinion. Anything that really, honestly, any, any, anybody catching them, I think would be due to, you know, self-inflicted and, or, or not self, but injury inflicted issues. It would have to be a rash of them. Uh, Cause I think they've got depth as well. I, I do. I think that's a really good program that um, them going 12 and 0 would not surprise me. It really wouldn't. And I know that includes having to go to a tough place in Indiana. And it's a nice program right now. And obviously going to South Bend and winning. I, I think they're quite capable of it. I really do. I, I, there's a part of me, if they beat IU, I think they could go to Notre Dame and be favored. I really believe that. Uh, maybe that's silly on my part, but I, I think yeah, it's possible. I, I don't think there's any way that'll happen, if nothing else, just because of the popularity of Notre Dame from a betting perspective. You no, know, you're like, right. That's, that, that, that's fair. The money's going to be on Notre Dame heavily in that game, I would assume. But I, I would love to know who the two voters were who picked UCF to finish first this year. Like, if you're looking – objectively at this conference and you don't think you see is the best team going in. I question your judgment a little bit. I, I, I think pretty clearly well, I'm going to get, I'm going to guess it's somebody I'm get. I'm going to guess it's somebody from the Orlando Sentinel yeah. and maybe from the UCF 24 seven site. How about that? Maybe. Yeah. The thing with the UC team this year and the AAC is that they're a, a clear top 15 team in the country, maybe top 10, even if you're looking at UCF, I don't think anyone has them ranked going into the season. Even right. you, some of the places that do their extended power rankings have them as, I think, a top 30-ish type team. So it's a, it's going to be a game when those two play each other. I just think UCF has some potential slip-ups even within the conference along the way. And when I look at that for UC's schedule, you, you got the two big games that we've talked a lot about, Indiana and Notre Dame but I don't think we see another potential loss on the entire slate. No, not at all. And that, that's just it. I mean, you know, you're not losing your first two Miami, Georgia, uh, Miami and Murray state. Um, and the good part for the UCF game is it is here. Um, so that's the other part to it. I mean, the road games inside the league are Navy and it's always squirrely, but the, the, the defense, I know it's not, doesn't have Marcus Freeman coordinating it, but the, the, the defense is really kind of taking care of that triple option of Navy's the last couple of years, but your road games inside the league are Navy Tulane. uh, South Florida and East Carolina. I mean, your three of those road games are pretty daggone easy. Yeah, they really are. Another college football topic that's been sweeping the nation over the last week is Quint Ewers, the nation's top football recruit, will forego his senior year of high school and join the Ohio State football program this month. Ewers is a five-star quarterback pledge out of Texas and is making the jump to take advantage of the new name, image, and likeness opportunities that aren't available for high schoolers in his home state. It's believed he could sign deals worth upward of a million dollars by enrolling at Ohio State early. The 18-year-old already has over 100,000 followers between Instagram and Twitter, with that number expected to grow exponentially once he enrolls and becomes a Buckeye officially. Skinny, what do you think about high school prospects skipping their senior years to take advantage of the NIL rules in college? Go for it. I mean, I, again, what, why would anybody be smart? You know, I, I've had some people say, well, you're giving up your childhood. Well, I mean, at that stage, you've, you've got your goals in front of you. Your goals at that point are go play college football, then go to the NFL. Um, that's your goal. If you're a five-star kid like that, right? I mean, that, that you, you know, it may get derailed and you may have to get your education and go into the real work world, but that's your goal. And guess what you get a chance to do while you go try to earn that goal. You get a chance to make a whole lot of coin at an early stage of life. It, somebody tell me what's wrong with that. Anyone? 
Well, I, I always crack up when all these older people talk about you're giving up the best years of your life. It's, it's going to be awful. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Randy, if you didn't know, for five star prospects going to play quarterback at, I don't know, Ohio State or any of the biggest football schools in the country, life pretty good life. Suck. Life doesn't suck. He's not going out the pasture to, to be shot. It's not the end of his uh, youth, you know? Actually, in fact, the best years are just starting for him. It's going to be okay when he gets to that dorm room and there's a line out the uh, dorm for him the first night waiting to have relations with him. You know, I mean, like this this isn't a bad setup for an 18-year-old kid. He's not, he's not moving on to be tortured. He's not going to BYU, you know? Like the kids go into Ohio State as a five-star quarterback prospect. And oh, by the way, he's also going to be making six figures. Like- you're, you heard of this term called senioritis? If you, if you don't know, pretty much everyone, when they get to their final year of high school, are ready to leave early. It's not that much fun to stick around when you're in the moment. I promise you it isn't. So, well, you know, you know, one of the conversations, one of the conversations last year of, of because of COVID and moving, you know, the, the start of, of high school sports back, um, which meant every season was getting pushed back, right? So the fall got pushed back, which then pushed the winter back, which then pushed the spring back, was the conversation of, a lot of a lot of teams that were playing in some postseason stuff at that point have seniors who are probably ready to go. They don't even want to be playing the sport that they're in at that time. So yeah, I mean, and again, there's this is not going to affect five thousand kids. It's going to affect a handful that are the five star guys. That the other part is you got to have your academics in order. You got to be able to graduate your your high school. I think he needs what one more class, if I'm not mistaken, to to, to yeah. get his his high school diploma. So you also have to, it can't be, you know, you can't be a five-star recruit who still needs the, the requisite number of high school credit hours to get your diploma. You still have to get your diploma. Um, so, you know, again, I don't know how anybody would think this is a bad thing for anybody. Yeah. His mom's in the school system that he's coming from. So he's, you know, a good student and up to on all the studies. That's why he's able to do this. I think there's also a general lack of understanding that a lot of these guys have been, for going half of their senior years right that, that's the other early part. and work out yeah so correct. that's correct isn't that new now granted he is giving up his final football season with his teammates and that sucks for some of those guys that played with them or expecting him to lead them to a, a state you know it does whatever potentially you, but you know who it doesn't suck for doesn't him. suck for the backup quarterback oh yeah that's that's a good point that's a good point now you know the guys he's throwing now, the ball to might suck. not be hey. too fond of it but doesn't suck for moxon it doesn't. What was his first name? Was it John Moxon? What was his name? Are you talking in the movie. about Friday Night Lights? No, in the uh, the 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 oh the one I can't think of the dang name of the movie now. With uh, John Voight is the old school football coach that everybody ended up hating, and the star quarterback got hurt, and then John Moxon had to come in. And Varsity Blues. Thank you, Varsity Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. see, it doesn't suck for John Moxon. I thought you were trying to think of uh, Saracen there for a second. No, 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 no. no. No, old Mox. Yeah, shout out to Mox. Shout out to Saracen. Shout out to Seven. Billy. Shout out to Billy Bob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really all, all we have on that probably, but I don't, yeah, it does not bother me at all that these kids are going to leave their senior years early. And as you pointed out, it's really not going to be that many of them. It's going to be a handful of kids a year maybe. And, you know, the idea that the best player in the country is going to go Ohio State because he has this opportunity guess what the best player in the country already goes to Ohio state or Alabama or somewhere like that. So really isn't right. changing a whole right. lot here. All right. One more uh, topic here before we get to some ask any, anything NBA free agency this week, there's a ton of action 
across the NBA. But the real big storyline, I think, for most people's perspective is Russell Westbrook teaming up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in Los Angeles. Do you think the Lakers significantly improve their chances of winning the NBA title next year by adding Russell Westbrook? And were there any other NBA signings that really caught your eye, Skinny? Um, I will say no to your first question because it still depends on the health of Anthony Day. I said that to Joe, Joe Daneman's a big Lakers fan from Fox 19. And that's that, that uh, the, some of the signings, I think the Carmelo Anthony signing came down when we were staying around talking or whatever. And, and uh, um, all I did, I kind of splashed water. I said, it all don't matter if Anthony Davis don't play. I mean, it, honestly, I said that last year. I, Russell Westbrook's on what his fourth team in four years. Correct. I mean, no, guy's a great individual player, but he's not a winner. And yeah, you're going to play with a guy who is a winner in LeBron, but as good as LeBron can be, and as good as LeBron still is at an advanced age, things didn't go so well when Anthony Davis got hurt, did they? They did not. I mean, that's all. That's what it depends on. You get all the shooters in the world. You can bring over a, a, a triple-double threat like, like, like Russell and, and argue that, hey, he'll help you if something happens to either LeBron or, or to Anthony Davis. Will he? He hadn't done that with any other franchise I've seen. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair great point. individual, great individual talent. But for whatever reason, wherever he goes, they don't win. Not that's, at a high level. That's a fair point, because I felt the same way about Russell Westbrook. I think he's hard to win with. That being said, anytime you add a superstar and he is a superstar talent to LeBron James, it makes him stronger. It just does. So so I do think it matters a little bit more now. If you don't have an Anthony Davis there. Is, there are those stretches now where he can help take some of that load off LeBron if you have a Russell Westbrook alongside. So does it help? Yeah, I think it does some, but I have major concerns about the fit here, about if anyone can really win with Russell Westbrook or if he tanks everybody's chances with the style that he plays, which is a very unique style for a point guard and, and quite frankly, kind of selfish. Also, Russell Westbrook doesn't fix the main problem they had on offense that they needed cured from last year, which is shooting. He's a terrible you know, shooter. I mean, that's what they tried to do with, with the Carmelo Anthony's and some of the other guys. And maybe that maybe that is the answer. But I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I, I was just going to get to that. I, I'm actually in some ways more impressed by what they've done since the Russell Westbrook signing, which, you know, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, I think is a great. Yeah, I forgot Malik Monk. Yeah. Un, under uh, the radar addition for them, because he's a guy that hasn't things haven't really gone all that well for him but he has shot the ball very well since he's been in the NBA. That is one thing we know that he can do. And on this team, they're not going to be asking him to go be a, a, a alpha or a, a go-to guy. They're going to say, no, stand, stand out there on the perimeter and knock down wide open shots. Right. right. And he's capable of doing that. And no, they also, that. Those, those were good. They got one other one too, didn't they? Wayne Ellington they, is another yeah, Ellington. Gay in the yeah. same, guy in the same boat who is, doesn't give you a lot, but he can really stand there and knock down three point shots at an over 40% clip. So, some of those additions, I think, are very smart. Carmelo shot the hell out of it last year off the bench in that type of role. So I think that makes sense for them. I also am, you know, the Malik Monk signing, I really liked because I was starting to worry about them just getting too old. Like, yeah, it's right. great to right. want to have veterans and, and feel like you have that experience in the locker room. But at some point when you can't chase anybody around and everybody's legs are too tired and you're old, you've also got a bunch of old heads that everybody has the answer and everybody's grumpy and pissed off at each other i don't think that dynamic works so well either i think you need a couple veterans surrounded by youth that still has energy in and can rub and on the floor and maybe not have too many voices going on in that same locker room so 
I'm kind of with you. I don't know that they've really gotten that much closer to winning an NBA title. That being said, I think they were already in the hunt just because of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, as long as those two are healthy, which is a big if you've made that abundantly clear and you are correct about, but they they've added something to this team. I'm just not sure how much closer it got them to winning a title. No, I, I think the the one big signing, honestly, and it's not a huge name, and we've already actually talked about him on the podcast already, but Patty Mills to the Nets is a really nice addition. Yeah, it's perfect. It is perfect for that team and what they need, too. A, a guy with absolute zero ego that yep. fits in for every team but does a lot of the stuff you need. The, he can be the backup point guard. Hell, he can really be a starting point guard for you, and he's he's been great for the Spurs, which is my team, so sucks to see him leave. I'm really glad that he didn't also – Barry Team USA uh, Wednesday night to to really dig the the knife in deep there on his way out the door in San Antonio. But I, I'm with you. I mean, for that team that has some goofballs, some selfishness, he is. And they a need somebody fit. to knock down a shot. And remember, in the playoffs, that's the one thing they couldn't have is they didn't have somebody else to make a shot. And he can do that at a high level. He's got great feel, just an all around. Like I said, he would fit in with any team but he is exactly what they needed. So I, I love that move too. And, and then lastly, and I'll ask, I'll ask this in the form of a question. Does, does Kemba Walker to the Knicks move the needle at all? I don't know. I like Kemba Walker a lot. He's easy to root for and he's fun to watch. It just hasn't really worked out with him wherever he's gone for the most part, right? Um, no, that's, that, that's, that's a fair point. And it, it, it's kind of the Russell Westbrook thing um i do like the, the the evan fournier signing though and and again watching him play for team france he looked great i think he's really good that's a lot of money that they gave to there's a lot fournier. of money i'm you know i'm always concerned about what the knicks are doing in general it's kind of like you know having f- complete confidence in front office moves by the Bengals. so you know it's like they don't have a great track that's record fair. in recent history so i i I, I look at it and I'm intrigued by what they did, but they overachieved as it was last year. The East. And that's what I'm asking though. I mean, so, so right, right. But, but so they overachieved and then they've kind of made their team better. Isn't that a good thing? I think it is. I just don't know that they've made it enough better. And I'm a little bit worried about them tying up a ton of money in a guy like Fournier. It, you know, I mean, like what, did, what exactly did that do? Did that get them close to a title? No, not really. It, I think it kind of makes them tread water. No, the, the, them- the, I think a healthy Nets are the best team in the East, even with Milwaukee in there. A healthy, a fully healthy Nets is clearly the best team in the and maybe the best team in the NBA. Period. Right. And so, I mean, you're 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 a team in the Knicks who just got into the playoffs, and now you know making a signing like that. I I just felt like they had the right path going on their rebuild. I'm a little worried that they're starting to try to skip steps there. Yeah. With a yeah. signing like Fournier, and this doesn't get them close to winning a title in my opinion it makes them maybe a little bit better this year um fourth i'm just not sure east. if i see the the path going forward right now yeah f- fourth seed in the east there's your ceiling yeah at best I, I mean i think they're more like fifth to eighth still right 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 so all right a couple ask any anything questions to get into here for us uh we'll start with an olympic question if you could pick oh one olympic sport to medal in what would it be skinny hmm the hundred yard dash or the hundred meter dash to be to be considered the world's fastest human. There's something to that, isn't there? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's never it's never like uh, some average looking dorky dude that wins no, the hundred meters. 
It's always a I'm stud. Not telling you, I'm not telling you I'm going to win the 100 meters, mind you. No, um, no, but, I know you're not, but I'm saying you're right. Like, it is a it is a cool thing. The guy is always cool that wins the 100 meters. No question. No doubt about it. Um, maybe the, the decathlon, but that's kind of lost its luster um, over over time for whatever reason. You know, I, I'm not even sure I've seen the decathlon in the last few Olympics, uh, for goodness sakes. Um trying to think there'd be any other sport. I mean, I, I, you and I both love basketball. I mean, to be a part of team USA would be pretty cool, but if it's an individual sport, I'm, I'm going with the hundred meter dash. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally out on doing the team sports. If I'm going to the Olympics, it's definitely something where you're the sole proprietor there. You don't want to be yeah, sharing yeah, the glory. It, and, and honestly, there's no upside if you're team USA in basketball, it's just either you win by a bunch or you were kind of an embarrassment. Right. Are you? Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's, that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I don't I don't find that to be intriguing at all. The 100 meter is a good one. I think that would be up there for me. I tell you what, the way boxing has gone for the USA, now they've they've got a couple more chances to to break their streaks of not having a gold medal, but they, they missed out on one of those chances last night with the the local Duke, guy Duke Reagan yeah, from yeah. Western Hills High School and it, it was fun. He fought really well. The interesting thing about that is he is He's become a professional. He was supposed to be in the Olympics in 2020. Then COVID right. happened. He's since gone to the professional ranks, which they allowed him and, and other guys this year to, to fight as professionals in the Olympics. But the problem with that is, is the style in the Olympics is totally different than if you're trying to win a professional fight where it's more about patience and the, the duration of the fight and setting your guy up and, and being smart in the Olympics. You just throw punches because you're trying to score points in a short three-round bout. That's what he ran into last night. I thought he fought the better fight. He was hurting the guy more. The other guy just kept throwing punches the entire time for all three rounds. He ended up outscoring him on the cards. So uh, I think that cost him a little bit, which was unfortunate. But I think boxing would probably be the one that I would go with because I'd love the sport, and I think it would be cool as hell to be the the – like heavyweight gold medal for, for USA. That that's pretty cool too. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you both those. All right. Uh, the worst group skinny 2021 Reds bullpen or 2020 Bengals offensive line. That's a damn good wow. question. Wow. Um, Love that question. I'll go, I'll go 2020 Bengals offensive line because <laughs> they got a guy hurt. At least the Reds haven't gotten anybody hurt, right? At least they haven't wow. gotten a teammate hurt. That. <laughs> I, I mean, like I guess physically hurt. Yeah, I guess we can't pin it on them necessarily. We've had some injuries on the Reds team. I, yes, I don't know yes, that yes, they're yes, directly the about, fault of the relievers. Yes. yes. And really, I feel, I feel bad because that's an indictment on the entire line when really that was kind of Michael Jordan and kind of bad luck, to be oh, quite frank. But Could have happened to a line, lot of them. Yeah, that line was a was a disaster. Yeah. This bullpen's a disaster, but at least it's had its good moments. And let's face it, right or wrong, that line was a part of a big time. I mean, when you're four eleven and one, you are a major losing franchise in the NFL, right? I mean, we're not talking about skinning your teeth. That's that's a bad team. Even despite the bad bullpen, it's had enough good moments that this team is obviously still in the playoff hunt. So it's clearly got to be the offensive line from last year. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to think of right now is how many wins do we think the offensive line cost the Bengals last year? And that's tough to sort out, obviously, because Joe Burrow got hurt as a result of them. And, and the defense was so bad. Well, that, that's what I'm saying, right? They would have lost a ton of games regardless because the team stunk all around, not just the right. offensive line. Right. So it's like, how many wins did the offensive line cost them? What percentage of the season is that? And how many wins would it equate to in baseball? Because this bullpen has blown 
it a has a lot of games. But oh, it's had at least, but it's also had obviously enough good moments too, because nobody finishes a game anymore. There's no complete games, so they've obviously done enough to still get you in the playoff hunt and be above 500. Yeah, I I pin 99.8 percent of that on the offense being really good for the duration of the year and the starting pitching got off to a slow start, but it's really caught up and and no, I, I, well I'm as the season has gone on. So I pin most of it on those two factors more so than the bullpen, but. Yeah, I'm still probably going Bengals offensive line. That's yeah, a damn that's good a question. One. I like it. I like it. Yeah, that's really good. All right, just looking through here. I think the only question we have left is one we're going to have to come back to for next week. It is Uh-oh. from our guy, Mo Egger, and it's a oh, please boy. rank the following play- careers in order from worst to best. Play- I played golf with Mo on Sunday. I, I discussed it. I-, I said, I need a new one from you, buddy, and he's come up with it. I like it. He came through. <laughs> looking at this oh, list, boy. Kenny. All right. I don't think I think I know one single name on this. All right. So so how does he want me to rank them from worst to best career? And again, we'll probably have to come back and do this next week. We will slowly go through the names for me. Milt Thompson. Milt Thompson, former Philadelphia Phillies outfielder. Brian Blados. Brian Blados, former Bengals offensive lineman who didn't have a great career. Fennis Dembo. Venice Dembo was a Wyoming, uh, was, was a Wyoming, played basketball, college basketball at Wyoming, was a really good college player, and I think he got a cup of coffee in the NBA. Ron Hassey. Ron Hassey was a big league, was a catcher uh, for Cleveland in the 80s and then played on some of those good Oakland teams, the Conseco McGuire, Ricky Henderson-ish o- Oakland teams in the late 80s, early 90s. Rolando Rooms. Rolando Rooms, former Reds Expos backup outfielder. That's a great name from the I, past. That's the only one on this list that I knew. I, Okay, keep going. Justine Bateman. Oh, Justine Bateman. Oh man, that that's actress. Um, was in the uh, was in the well, what was the show with Michael J. Fox way back in the day? Um, drawing a complete. They, he he played. She played the sister. Um, it was it was the Keaton family. Gosh darn it! What was the name of that show? I'll have to look it up. But Justine Bateman in the day was kind of kind of sexy. <laughs> now I'm googling, but Kelly Holcomb is next on the list. Kelly Holcomb, the former Browns quarterback, who I believe has the um, until Baker Mayfield, I believe he's the only. I got to look this up. I think he's the only Browns quarterback since they came back in the NFL before Baker to start a playoff game. Fair enough. Uh, Damon Berryhill. Damon Berryhill, Cubs catcher in the in the late eighties, uh, was I believe on a playoff team, the eighty nine um, divisional champion Cubs team uh, that lost to the Giants in the NLCS. Uh, got a little bit of power. I, I like Damon. Damon Berry was a serviceable guy. I did know finish. Kelly Holcomb too. I should say. Okay. All right. Yeah. Did, did you look up Justine Bateman? Yeah. I did. I don't want to be well, mean, but. I, I, well, dude, she's probably fifty-five to f- years old now. Sixty years old. Yeah, for Somebody sure. No, some, I'm seeing some of the older pictures. I get where you're coming look, from. Look her up and see what that show was. It was she. She was. She was in. Gosh, are you on a Wikipedia page or just the images? Yeah, well, I've, I was on the images, but now I'm on IMDb. Uh, family Ties? That's it, Family Ties. Thank you. Okay, there we she go. Played, she played Michael J. Fox's sister. Glad we got that sorted out. Justine Bateman. Ha- have you seen her recently? No, I've not. Yeah, don't. It's kind of like Christy McNichol, who everybody had the hots for back in the day. She kind of faded out, uh, faded off the planet. Melissa Gilbert. Chuck Nevitt. Chuck Nevitt, big center, backup stiff center for actually. I think he played for a pretty decent period of time in the NBA. Didn't play much. Always seemed like he was on rosters. 
Deb. Oh, I know this one too. Deb Dixon. Oh, Deb Dixon, of course. Yeah. Rhyme Stoppers. Stud. Local 12. You yep. sh- dude, she's going to be near the top of the list when I when I eventually rank these for next week. No doubt. Probably number one. Bill Gullickson. Bill Gullickson, um, I believe, has passed this earth, if I'm not mistaken, but he pitched for the Reds in the 80s, but actually was a really good pitcher for the Expos um, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, when the Expos were actually one of the better teams in the National League. And Roan Stark. Roan Stark was a punter for the Colts. You might have to look him up for me. I want to say he was a punter for the Colts. Oh, was he in the 80s or 90s? Uh, looks like he played throughout the mid-90s. Okay. He was with I, the yeah, Colts. Uh, well, all of that. He played with the Colts from 82 to 94, and then okay, he yeah. played okay. with the Steelers, Panthers, and Seahawks until 97. I, I believe, and see if it shows it, I believe he was a left-footed punter. Wow. I believe. All right, so good part was I knew all those people off the top of my head now. Yeah, so it should be. Yeah, he was left-footed. You're Damn. Okay. There you're we, impressive, there we go. man. How about that? Yeah. How about that? All right, I will rank those for next week's program, I promise. But I, 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 I'm I, glad we got to go through the list and, and figure out who all those folk were. One one more that I overlooked here on Twitter oh. that came in as we were doing, if you don't mind here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Vince, Vince says, would you, would you like to see UC and UK play each other in football again? And what other local-ish college football or basketball matchups would you like to see come back? Yeah, I would love to see Kentucky and UC play. I think it's silly that they don't. I mean, in, in if you want to have two good – and Kentucky's a good program now. Two good programs that all it's going to take is a bus trip back and forth and, and no airline and costs and all that and um, two fan bases. I mean, I think you could play – hell, you could play a, a three-year series, home and home and one at Paul Brown Stadium. I, I, I'd love to see that. Um, I think that's a win-win for both teams. I don't think I do, that's a bad game I do, for UK. I, I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. I think for UK, it's though it's a, it's they, they obviously have the rivalry game with Louisville and then they usually have three by game wins. Um, I think that's the way they feel about it is, is they at least get three wins, maybe a fourth non-conference. Then if you can split somehow in the sec eight and four, get you in a re- reputable bowl. I honestly think that's the way they look at it. Well, and this staff particularly seems to like to come to Cincinnati and do the whole, we're we're the SEC option for Ohio kids. Right. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, No, I I still would like to see it. College basketball, I I still, I think Dayton and Next should always play. You probably disagree with that. I know you hate Dayton, but I still, it was always a great rivalry. I mean, I hate the city of Dayton. Yeah, I don't really care as much about the basketball team itself. Uh, I'm worried more about the, the suburban Dayton. Yeah, but, but, would you like to see them resume playing? I think it's there's merit to that argument. I totally understand why Xavier doesn't want to play that, and I think their reason is valid. But at the same time, from a fan's perspective, I get why people want to see that game again. You can't deny that the fans are really into it. I mean, the fans are more into that rivalry than I ever realized before I started covering this. Um, I always thought it was just UC Xavier, and people still insult Dayton every time they come up like on my message board and things like that so right I mean the hatred there runs deep it's it's legit between those two programs I I think that would be a good game for them to play again and and I think it's I think it's it's absolutely silly that Kentucky and Indiana don't play in basketball yeah that's that's the one that I really enjoy watching college basketball is my favorite sport anyway obviously but those two should play Every year, and I don't care if it's at neutral sites, if they switch between NBA arenas or whatever, if they want to play in Indianapolis, I don't care. They need to play that series. And hopefully with Mike Woodson being at the helm now in Indiana, there's a better chance of that happening again. 
And, and I'll, I'll go with the one more, um, and it's basketball, is, is you see in Ohio State, again, those, are, those seem like such easy games to put together, right? It's just an easy road trip for both uh, that, that, you know, you're going to have packed houses. It's going to be a meaningful game for both teams. It's going to, to help your postseason resume in most cases. Why would you not consistently play that home and home? Yeah, I don't understand that. That's one. I don't know if it makes sense for either team, if I'm being honest. Really? Yeah, I think UC getting beaten down consistently by Ohio State, and let's face it, they would, would not well, be great for their would. brand overall. And what? where's the upside for Ohio State? I mean, you're supposed to kill them every single year. You'll be favored by, you know, multiple touchdowns. And mm. anytime you don't no, 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 out, no, 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 I said ba- in, no, I said in basketball. Oh, in basketball. I thought you were talking about football. Yeah, in no, basketball. Football, I get, yeah, football. I, I'm fully with you on that football one. Yeah. Yeah, basketball, I, it makes more sense. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it, it, I think it helps both teams' resumes. And again, it's an easy hop on the bus at three o'clock or whatever, do shoot around, hop on the bus, go up, play a game, come back down, and you're, you're back in your bed by midnight in both cases. Yeah, I think for Ohio State at this point, they're not going to give UC any help being an AAC program in no, recruiting. You're probably right. You know, you're not going to give them a chance to even play you and, and get a win over you to, to give them a boost in recruiting. So, I get that. I mean, Ohio State wouldn't play Xavier or UC, and Xavier's right. in the Big East. So Xavier's got the better chance of getting that game right now than UC does. Yeah, I, no, I, I just think any time that, I mean, for athletic departments, it always seemed like they're pleading poverty and being cash-trapped. Why would you not put together a quality game on a bus trip as opposed to piling everybody into a charter flight and flying somewhere? Yeah, well, I got news for you. They don't really care about money. That's That whole broke that. thing is a lie. Yeah, that's probably true too, but it still would make sense. And I still would like to see, and that was the parameter of the question. I still would like to see it. No, I think those are some good ones. Good question. All right, I'll put together Mo's ranking for next week. If you've got any, ask any anything, send them Rick's way as the week progresses. We'll be back next week with yet another podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition, brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.